Welcome back to KafaruCast, everybody. I'm riding solo today. Aaron has the AIDS. He's sick. He's fighting uh, some type of a, uh, a virus. He's been gone all week. He just got back from his Texas trip. Texas and Oklahoma. I think he went on a killing spree of, uh, of whitetails, but he caught something along the way, so I guess you can get syphilis more than once. But <laughs> got a special guest here today. We got Matt. Matt uh, Means, right? Is that how you say your last name? Yep. Matt is from XLR. So we've been talking about these XLR chassis for a while now. Um, I recently uh, got one for my 300 rum from Matt. I had some issues with a, uh, with a stock that I broke and last minute hit up Matt and I was like, dude, I need, can you, is there anything you can do for me? And he, uh, he took really good care of me. Let me use that um, XLR chassis and I've had nothing but great experiences with the company and the chassis itself. So we, uh, we were able to connect and he came to Denver. Um, and we are here in the, in the podcast studio ready to talk about XLR. So I've been getting a lot of questions about XLR, the company, what you guys offer. So Matt's here to, to kind of drop some knowledge on us. So how are you doing, man? Hey, good, Frank. Thanks for having me down. Sorry, uh, showed up probably right when you guys <laughs> were taking your lunch, but ran in a little snow weather up in the mountains. Yeah, it looked like we, uh, so, um, Allie, she runs the shipping department. She's going to, I think, Keystone this weekend. She's going boarding, but she was telling me there's supposed to be a blizzard up there, and it looks like you were just catching the first part of it. Yep, yeah, they got um, Breckenridge, I think, called 13 inches last night, and then they're supposed to be getting up to another 10 to 15, I want to say, throughout tonight, and then it'll hit again Sunday, and I guess Jesus. that'll actually be a really big storm, so multiple feet within a couple days. So. <laughs> oh my God. Well, that's good for the borders and the skiers, I guess. Yeah. I'm actually going to try some of that here this weekend. My buddies want me to go to Monarch, which is down like by Salida, so we'll see how that goes. You, you used to board, didn't you, you said? Yep. Yeah, I grew up uh, up in the ski resort areas, Keystone, Breck. Loveland, all that. So yeah, I skied and snowboard quite a bit. And then once I moved down to Grand Junction uh, a little over 10 years ago, that's pretty much gone away. <laughs> Used to shred the gnar. Shred the gnar. Shred the gnar. So uh, Grand Junction, that's funny. That's like a that's like the Pueblo of the Western Slope, I feel like. We, uh, we played Grand Junction when I was in high school for football. And I think I was a sophomore. It was my first year on varsity football and we got the shit beat out of us. So great memories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Junction's a pretty interesting place for sure. It's grown and developing, but uh, anywhere you go throughout Colorado, different towns have different opinions of Junktown, as a lot of people <laughs> nickname it. But it's an interesting place just because everyone I talk to and they call me, they know we're from Colorado. So they're like, man, you guys just getting tons of snow? And I'm like, no, I'm wearing a t-shirt and it's like 50 <laughs> yeah. degrees here and nice, but just right on the border of Utah. So a little deserty, low, high, you know, yeah. book cliffy stuff. So pretty unique area for sure that's cool so uh so yeah tell us a little bit about xlr and what you guys offer and um yeah so like i was saying it was the i use the uh element chassis um i actually have a, a carbon chassis on a tika here i'm still waiting if whaley whaley doesn't listen to the podcast anyway so i can talk all the shit i want if he finally finishes this gun for me then i'll have that and i've also got one on a creedmoor and and also got one for a 243 so yeah it was they're, they're awesome, man. I've had a lot of people ask me about them, how I like them for hunting. So I'll let you take it from here. But uh, yeah, they've been they've been great for me. Yeah, well, appreciate the support. Um, so XLR started manufacturing aluminum chassis back in 2010. Uh, the chassis that started all is called the Evolution, which has a fully enclosed aluminum handguard. 
And from there, just a real small business, two owners decided to start it up in their garage and took off. Next thing you know, we got a shop with, uh, you know, more CNC machines and employees and continue to listen to different markets and try and develop new products to meet different shooting disciplines. Uh, originally, it was a lot of the focus was towards tactical law enforcement, military competition related shooting. But, you know, there's plenty of people out there running it just recreational for fun. Long range shooting in the last decade has really blown up. So we've been very fortunate to be a part of that industry as it continues to grow. Um, and over the years with the new different types of chassis trying to meet different needs, the one thing that we always kind of lacked was just lightweight, which as many people can imagine that aren't familiar with chassis systems, but I've seen images of them. They're kind of these big, scary, black gun looking things, right? They're heavy, they're metal. So they, they always assume that they're very heavy. Um, but we came out with the carbon chassis quite a while ago and it is three and a half pounds just kind of like the starting package back in the day that's been used for many years in hunting that's what kind of opened our eyes to it was wow there's more people using this for hunting applications than we're aware of and funny enough like a lot of the people who are using them bought them because they saw the the huge potential of it being a multifunctional rifle for their whole family, um, being able to set up the length of pole and different cheek welds for different facial constructions for their kids, their wives, you know, friends. We had a lot of outfitting companies run them so they could fit them to different shooters that showed up that didn't have a proper rifle. So that uh, that all really allowed us to start looking a little more into the hunting industry. Um, about two years ago, we got really serious about it, started networking talking to people, getting feedback, started doing some surveys and marketing research and came to the conclusion if we really wanted to try to be more competitive in the aftermarket stock world for hunting, we needed to be sub 32 ounces. Um, that's where we ended up looking into different materials, different options to cut the weight off the chassis systems, which without just hacking off the entire fore end and having a very minimal, unpractical platform, uh, we had to be a little innovative with the materials and the design while still keeping rigidity uh, and functionality of adjustability in the rear. So went to the magnesium element, which is what something we released about three and a half months ago. Uh, magnesium's about 33% lighter than aluminum, I believe. And then we have a carbon buttstock that's getting made for us that that package allows us to get it below that 32 ounce. So we hit that mark, got a few out there in some people's hands to test, and they said it worked, you know, everything they needed. Uh, obviously a little more minimalistic than our competition style chassis, but it's still a large improvement just being able to have the options for the adjustable cheek weld, the folding buttstock if you'd like, or any accessories in the forend are a lot easier to mount than your traditional stocks. Yeah, that was, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, th we haven't released that podcast yet that I did with Jordan after the um, Idaho hunt, but we were talking about the chassis. He's got an XLR as well, and um, just the fact of the adjustability of them so you can customize them for you. And then he actually got one for, I think, for one of his Tika rifles for his kids. Um, he kind of, he had been experimenting with chopping down the butt stocks of, of, uh, of of like the, the standard Tikas and, and just screwing around with something to fit his kids and he couldn't figure it out and he finally got a chassis and it works awesome for him. So I think that's that's one thing that's huge and especially now that you guys have uh, a super lightweight chassis that the magnesium um, that, that opens the door for a lot of a lot of backpack hunting guys and I think I was talking to 
uh, either Brian Pence or John Pinch about having that folding stock and how cool that is to have, you know, one of your bigger guns being able to strap that to your backpack um, on these backpack hunts so you don't have a big old long barrel sticking above your head when you're trying to move through brush and stuff like that. So I think that's pretty huge as well. Oh, yeah, be able to get compact. I mean, there's certain times with backpack hunting where obviously everyone's wanting to cut weight, but mm. uh, there's been certain things I've purchased, such as like tripods for spiders and binoculars that they might not be the absolute lightest, but just due to the compactability of it, like it's a huge plus for me to be able to have it small and on the side of my pack and not, you know, hanging out or anything. But yeah, the adjustability in the butt stock. So like the carbon butt stock, you have an adjustable cheek rest, uh, but that's it. The length of pull is fixed and same with the recoil pad. Now we do have two different lengths on that butt stock which with or without the folding adapter allows us to get it set up for three different length of pull ranges, uh, which pretty much covers everyone that are really short to very tall. So we can still fit that to the individual. Our tier two butt stock is the one that has length pull adjustment from 12 to 15 inches, adjustable cheek rest, adjustable recoil pad height and cant, and then some integrated QD sockets. And you gain about 12 ounces, but uh, surprisingly, even a lot of your serious backpack hunters have taken that one to account just because they want that precision fitment. If they're doing any sort of long range shooting, being able to get consistently behind the rifle every time is very crucial. Um, or as we've already mentioned, you know, getting it adjusted for different people. And I think I talked to Jordan a little bit actually on rock slide and he mentioned when he was trying to find something to work for his, uh, kid that he talked to Luke Connor, I believe it was, or Luke Moffat, one of the Lukes on rock slide. And, uh, they recommend it cause they've been running our chassis. Like Luke Connor, I think has been running our chassis since 2012 and he probably has about 10 of them now. And it's really cool seeing his family out there hunting. Cause I mean, his, uh, his kids, I think they've killed over five times more animals than I have. It's crazy <laughs> impressive how many uh, animals those kids put down. But uh, yeah, yeah, modulator, adjustability. I mean, the chassis have just continued to open up the doorway to a lot of people. Once they get over the ideal of it's, you know, not practical just because it's not a wood or synthetic, uh, they start seeing the beliefs. But that magnesium element's been huge. It's actually been over top selling SKUs because of how well the hunting community has taken it. And I've, every single person, especially if they do have experience with some of our previous chassis, when they get it, they're just blown away. I mean, I've probably almost thrown it across the room at least 10 times because I'm used to picking up these heavy competition weighed down chassis and you grab that and shocks you, your muscle memory is just not used to it. So yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty neat for sure. Yeah. And, and you also bring up the, uh, I, what I have, I got a bunch of questions and there was a lot of people that were kind of skeptical about it's just the look of a chassis is, is, is not common, I guess, in the hunting world. And people are like, uh, how do you, how do you use that for hunting? It's not, it's not your traditional looking stock. Whereas, you know, you have the, I feel like a lot of the long range stocks now anyway, they have more of a vertical pistol grip style anyway, or even though it's in a stock. So I felt like it was like a, a pretty smooth transition, especially doing a lot of predator hunting with like an AR-15 having that vertical um, pistol grip anyway. So i I haven't had any issues with it. Um, I thought it was it was great, and the versatility you get with it is just it's just been awesome. So, well, yeah. What do you what do you guys usually tell people when they're kind of skeptical about going from your traditional style stock to a to a chassis? Really, just the benefits they're gaining. Um, 
So, you know, we've talked a little on the adjustability and the modularity of different butt stocks. Uh, you brought up a great point of the grips, right? So, like, it accepts flat top AR style grips, which mm-hmm. anyone who's familiar with the firearms industry and AR 15 platforms, like, there's thousands upon thousands of grips out there. So, you truly have an option for everyone, no matter how they grip the rifle or uh, what size their hand is. So, a majority of your aftermarket stock manufacturers will, yes, try to have a little more of a um, enlarged palm swell and vertical style grip on their stock, but they can't get it normally just right for everyone, right? And some people will rest their thumb on top of their index finger when they're shooting. Some will wrap their thumb up over the top of the stock. And, you know, there's a little flexibility there, but there's not a ton you can do. Where on the chassis, there's tons of different ways you can grip it. You can wrap your thumb around the pistol grip. You can rest on the side. Like we sell an adjustable thumb rest, which has been very popular. And a lot of the hunters surprisingly have enjoyed that more than I would have assumed. Um, We originally came out with that because a lot of shooters in the competition scene wanted it just as a resting point because they're running their their thumb on the same side as the bolt just for faster bolt acquisition. Uh, but with hunting, I think it's been very important because people like that consistency point of it, which is good in shooting. So it's like an anchor point with your bow. Um, they just, every time they know where their hand gets placed and they can change the grip to be able to get a larger or smaller palm swell, finger grooves, no finger grooves, you know. Uh, so they kind of play around with that. Uh, after they f- understand that they can get properly fit behind the rifle, whether it be with the buttstock or the grip, you start going over the benefits of the platform itself. So like we cut what's called a multi-point radial inlet. Uh, Kyle and James, the owners of XLR, came out with that in 2010 where, and the easiest way to explain it is what we're doing is cutting to the footprint of the action. Uh, and then there's very small multiple high points throughout that radius or throughout uh, different octagon designs, whatever the design of the action is, which then when the steel or titanium action gets bolted down to the chassis, uh, you know, that aluminum or now also magnesium is getting semi-bedded, right? So it's causing even better fitment, but you're getting full contact from the recoil lug back throughout your uh, rear action screw tang, depending on the design of the action. And each inlet is specific to the action, where a lot of your other aftermarket, uh, some stocks, but mainly chassis, will cut, which is called a V-block. So it is what it's called. It's just a straight V-cut, which allows you to get two points of contact running down the side of the action, which is an improvement over a lot of your factory stocks. Gives it a little bit more of a uh, rigidity to the action to chassis or stock fitment. But it can induce a lot of stress in the action depending on what design the action is. Because some of your actions are round body, some are flat or square or multi-flat. You know, there's a ton of different actions. Uh, With a multi-point, you're getting it a stress-free environment with full contact, which really relates to just increase in accuracy. Um, And be able to drop the barreled action into the chassis and get that drop in accuracy, which... You know, every rifle is going to be different, but a lot of your factory rifles, when people drop their factory barreled actions in their chassis, they're usually seeing their group shrink a half to a full MOA, if not better, depending on the rifle and ammunition used. And then throughout the fore end, so you got the comfort behind the rifle, you got the actual, you know, accuracy fitment of the action to the chassis, and then the fore ends of the chassis are just so much more modular for accepting accessories. So... You know, in your tactical or competition scene, you see a lot more of that just due to everyone 
kind of wanting to have different accessories for different uses, whether it be shooting off barricades or shooting off tripods, shooting off helicopters, whatever it might be. Uh, but we're seeing a lot of that in the hunting crowd too. I mean, tripod shooting with rifles is really taken off. So be able to just easily bolt on any M-Lock accessory to the forend, whether it be a dovetail or Comic-Con Arca Swiss, a pick rail, a QD, you know, barricade stops, night vision mounts, the options are really endless. Uh, that, that gives the shooter the ease of, okay, over time I can adapt this to my shooting needs. Um, and with like competition shooting still really booming right now and, you know, continuing to grow, a lot of your hunters and just recreational guys are wanting to get into it, but it's kind of daunting at first, right? So they're like, I don't know where to begin. What do I buy? Do I have to spend $8,000 on this fully loaded rifle? Well, with a chassis, especially if they're a hunter, they can get a hunting setup, use it for hunting, but then over time adapt that system to still be able to go shoot matches. Uh, stocks, you can still do so. I mean, some of them are a little more specific than others, but you can't really change the stock too much once you buy it. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, a lot of really cool features on it. Some of our chassis are uh, have enclosed handguards or evolution in carbon. The carbon has the enclosed carbon fiber handguard, which I think was really popular, not only because it was one of our lighter options previously, but the carbon fiber handguard is beneficial because you don't have that cold aluminum yeah, or magnesium exactly. grip. I was just going to say that for predator hunting, man, that's that's pretty huge. Yeah, so we are looking into some different options to be able to continue to better shield the shooter's hand or, you know, the hunter's hand when they're carrying the rifle, if it's on the element or envy, but, uh, for most people that have used them and it doesn't matter what time of year it is, they understand. Yes. If you put your bare hand on it and it's really cold out, it is going to be cold. But if it's 10 degrees, I'm not carrying my rifle with my bare hand very often. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so don't, don't, you don't want to lick it either like a Christmas story. No, <laughs> no. Yeah. We don't, we don't need those type of people doing that. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, like you said, even another good point to bring up is it, you can get the rifle a whole lot more compact. And even if you don't have the folding adapter, if you don't want to add that little additional weight, which I think it's well worth the additional weight, but uh, I do have some of my rifles that I carry in the woods that don't have folding adapters and I just have them strapped to my pack. So, I mean, with your guys' like Sherman pocket, problem solved, right? Now your barrel's not two feet above your head. The rifle's secured. Uh, you know, most most people, not all, but aren't really just Elmer fighting through the woods hoping to shoot a deer at, you know, 10 yards where they need their rifle in their hands. A lot of people, especially more backpack style, Western Mountaineer and stuff, like, you know, they're going to a location, they're getting set up, they're glassing, they locate animals. They say, I need to go here to be able to get my shot off, or maybe they're in a location they can already get the shot off. They take their rifle off their pack, you know, they make their shot sequence and boom. So, uh, we do want to try to make it where it's not going to be frigid cold on their hands if they are having to carry it by hand. Um, but, you know, buy some bigger gloves. <laughs> Stop crying. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, if anything, maybe your shooting hand might not have a have a glove on it, but I mean, that's going to be on the grip anyway. So it's not – I've never found it to be a, a huge deal, but it is kind of nice with the carbon to – um, to not freeze your hands off too, too bad. But, um, what, uh, so you guys make, you make the chassis for a, a ton of different actions. I'm assuming probably like the Remington 700 short and longs are probably some of your more popular, but do you know offhand how many different actions you guys are making chassis for? So for the first about eight years of the company, um, XLR continued to grow their inlet list 
very rapidly. Uh, we wanted to be able to have some an option for just about anyone. And I don't remember the exact number. I mean, I think it was around like 360 different variations of actions. Um, and it was cool, but also uh, the same thing that you guys have probably have experienced, you know, with growing pains, you could say. Yeah, you where can't inventory all that stuff. Can't right? inventory. And it's problematic, especially on our end for how tight we cut the inlet mm. to the footprint of the action. So, I mean, we get called all the time where people are just blown away with how amazing the action to chassis fitment is. Um, and how accurate it is being if they took it from a bedded stock that they had a gunsmith do and putting it into the chassis and shooting identical, if not in some instances, even better. Uh, but certain actions and especially a lot of your actions been made for a very long time have a lot of tolerance issues as far as varying over the years, especially if they go through different manufacturing plants. So for instance, like uh, Winchester Model 70s and FNSPRs we used to inlet for, but they've been made in different areas and they've been made for so long that I could grab 10 different of those actions. And although they're supposed to be the same, they'll all be different. Uh, so we had a lot of not warranty issues on our end, but just due to us not being able to accommodate that. So we were always changing those inlets to be able to try to make sure the customer had a perfect fit which was fine, but it's expensive because sometimes we end up having to cut a whole new chassis, right? So, um, and then action companies change stuff all the time. It's super frustrating. I mean, I'm not going to name any, but there are a few out there. <coughs> Bat, uh, Bat <laughs> likes to have a ton of actions and they're awesome dudes and some amazing actions, some very, very top-notch actions, but they decide that they will come out with an action and it'll be great, but then someone will say, well, I want that round action in a multi-flat design. So they're like, okay, let's do that. And then uh, they do it in a different design, a different design. And then all of a sudden they decide to change the action screw spacing. Well, then, you know, what we thought we were inlining for no longer works for X, Y, Z. So we did discontinue a lot of inlets. A lot of are larger. So we do inlet for a lot of your, uh, what people could call big boomers, your big 375 Shatex, 48 Shatex, 50 BMGs. Um, we've done a lot of really cool projects. We had one project with uh, the Navy. It was a 14.9, I think it was a SPO or SOC or something. Just It was a 20 Vulcan neck down to a 14.9 millimeter cartridge. So the rifle was... I don't remember what the weight was, but pretty much like two and a half times larger than your common 50 BMG rifle. Like it was just massive, right? Did so you guys we, get to shoot it? Uh, no, and I wasn't there at the time. That was years ago, but there's, it's one of those, like there's images you'll find online. It went viral years ago and it's still getting floated around, but we built the chassis for it and uh, did some work on the action for them. But no, I don't think they ever got to shoot it. The cartridge itself, I mean... I'd want to say it's probably close to eight to nine inches long. I mean, massive round, but uh, it was like all hush-hush, I guess, when they were doing that project, but it was supposed to be a rifle that they could engage targets from sea so they could be on a, you know, destroyer or aircraft carrier or something offshore. And uh, I think it was like... I don't remember the effective range on it to where it, it before it went transonic, but I mean, it was, yeah, 
yeah, unreal. Taking out miles upon miles Somali upon miles. Pirates or some shit. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But anyways, get your question. Sorry, I go on some rants here. Uh, <laughs> That's good. Yeah, we, we enlist for a lot of actions. We did discontinue a lot of your uh, slower movers or problematic uh, actions. Right now, off the top of my head, I don't know. I want to say we probably still have around. I mean, if you if you talk, if you include right versus left hand as a variation, because it is a you know a different platform. Uh, now we are starting to make a lot of our chassis ambidextrous, which is amazing on the manufacturing side, and it's great on the consumer side too. Um, probably still somewhere around that 150 to 200 mark would be my guess. Uh, we still do a lot of inlets on the BMG and the HD chassis, which are oversized. And then we have our Evolution or Carbon or Element uh, 3.0, Element 3.0 Magnesium and MV chassis, which uh little teaser the mv chassis will be coming out with a new iteration for 2020 if there's any competition shooters listening so has something new and cool at shot show to release um but yeah our top seller will still always be our remington and remington clones pretty much all your custom actions are based off that footprint and then we do sell a lot of savages especially savage long actions like in our evolution and carbon because uh they've done really well in marketing for like they offer a 330 at lapua and the savage so people eat that up because everyone mm-hmm. wants to have a 330 at lapua right that's a <laughs> yeah that's a sniper cartridge that's what you need so uh <laughs> they end up buying that and they want aftermarket chassis for it and then uh, a lot of tikas and we're seeing even more tikas because they've been very popular platform in the hunting industry and they're pretty slick little actions and then we do some rimfire stuff cz 457s tika t1s uh cz 455 so we're wanting to grow into that area also the rimfire competition stuff is nuts man like yeah, because I've seen every, that recently. Yeah, everyone can do it, right? Like if you have a hundred yard shooting bay, you can go shoot competitively twenty two and it's like you're, you know, in a way shooting long distance except just out to hundred yards on small targets. Mm-hmm. So uh I don't remember what the NRL twenty two recently posted. I wanna say they have over sixty clubs in the nation right now that are actively shooting every month. So that's quite a bit in the shooting world. It's something that's affordable for uh for an everyday person as far as ammunition goes because good lord it gets expensive unless you reload but uh, uh, i for any of you listening that want to get into competition either uh start growing your bank account now just to keep being able to buy factory ammunition or uh be able to be willing to pay someone to do the reloading because <laughs> yeah. everyone gets into reloading thinking it's going to save their money and it's just a money pit <laughs> yeah that's what my buddies keep telling me they're like don't do it um we had a guy that uh that gave us a bunch of reloading stuff, um, Mike, and uh, he was he was cool enough to give that to me. And I was asking my buddies questions about reloading. They're like, "You probably shouldn't do it. It's just a just a rabbit hole that you go down, and you keep wanting better and better and better groups." So, oh yeah, I mean it's it's fun. It's just like anything else, just like archery or anything. You just want to get better at it, but it. It is, it is a bit of a rocket science for sure. Yeah, in the beginning, it's, <laughs> it is, and it, it was a hobby for me for a long time. I enjoyed it. I wanted to see if I could continue to improve, you know, accuracy of different rifles, try different bullets because it was a lot more economical option. You know, you could go buy a ton of bullets and powder and primers and be set up for a long time. But if you go and I start shooting matches, like I, I couldn't imagine being some of the top guys that shoot as many matches as like John Pinch and Pence and. Jake Faber, Paul Dallin, any of the guys that are out there shooting, you know, 19, 20 matches a year or more, like, I feel like reloading consumes my life <laughs> majority of the year. Like, yeah. they're going through thousands upon thousands yeah. of bullets. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, they were, I was talking, I can't remember if it was, it was probably both those guys, Brian and uh, John, and they were just telling me how they, they burn through these barrels like crazy 
whether it be competition or just practice. And I'm like, damn, dude, I don't know if I've ever worn out a barrel in my life on anything. So I yeah. mean, it's, it's, it's cool though. But, um, so, uh, what, what do you think's your top selling, um, chassis right now? And what, what do you suggest for, um, say, since this is more like a, a hunting podcast, what do you say for, for hunting, hunting? Um, so right now, I mean, it, the Envy and the Element are going to be our two top sellers. Uh, since we released the Element 3.0, which is our third revision on the Element chassis, uh, that was about three and a half months ago. That is definitely just done and absolutely amazing. And it's offered in the aluminum and the magnesium. The magnesium's uh, a little more expensive, but you cut some more weight off of it. And yeah, that's that's definitely the way to go. I mean, if, if you're wanting to be able to have any sort of pack style rifle and weight is a concern of yours like the element 3.0 magnesium with our carbon butt stock now again the the tr2 is a little more weight like magnesium chassis with an ergo grip and a tr2 butt stocks two pounds 10 ounces so it's still not horrible by any means um but you're getting all that precision fitment on the butt stock which some people will validate more than others but carbon butt stock uh with that same grip you're at 30 ounces and then we do have like a carbon fiber grip and there we have uh, testing currently a titanium grip. Uh, it's a 3D printed titanium grip, and both of those will put it down to 28 ounces. So it's insane. Oh, it's super cool, man. Because <laughs> I mean, for years, everyone just looked at them as so heavy. So you look alive, your aftermarket, you know, higher end carbon fiber composite stocks, and they're super small, minimalistic stocks, and they're, you know, 23, 24 ounces is a pretty common weight range. There are some that are a little lighter, some a little more heavier, but. You know, they don't have adjustable cheek grass. You still have to bed them and pillar them. And if you want to run a detachable box magazine, you have to get bottom metal for it. And by the time you put that bottom metal and the bedding compound and pillars and everything into it, you're at the same weight. If not, you've exceeded the weight of the chassis, where the chassis, you drop a barreled action and bolt it in. You have to have an AICS magazine and you're rock and rolling. So, uh, yeah, that would definitely be the route. The carbon buttstock, like I said, already still has the adjustable cheek rest, which is probably one of the more beneficial adjustments in the rear to get that consistent cheek weld and uh, have a good consistent eye relief is huge. So yeah, it's cool. So, uh, so Matt is going to come with us to, uh, to the sheep show. So we'll have this podcast out before then cross your fingers. No, I'm just kidding. I think we will, but, uh, so you're going to be there with us and what are you going to take with you? So people can take a look. You'll be at, you'll be at our booth. Yep. Yeah. So I'll be taking the magnesium element 3.0s. I mean, that is, or that is the product we're pushing hunting. Now mm -hmm. I've, you know, uh, to bring up like Luke Connor again, you know, he has a ton of different chassis from us and he still uses evolutions and envies hunting, but uh, a lot of those are just more easy going hunts with his family where they're taking, you know, four wheelers and pack boats and stuff in. Um, but being sheep show is about, you know, high alpine mountain hunting, like we're going to be taking the lightest packages we have to offer. So we'll have a few different variations. I will have one with the TR2 butt stock there just to show the adjustments, but there'll be the magnesiums with the carbon butt stocks. Yeah. I think that'll be really popular. It's, it's almost funny. Like a lot of these, uh, at the sheep show, the first question somebody's going to ask probably the same for you guys is what's your lightest option? Like they, yeah. that's all a lot of the sheep hunters care about it at first and then you, you kind of tell them what we got then what else, what the other options are because there's more to everything than just the weight but it's nice to have a nice lightweight package as well for for those weight conscious guys so that's that'll be good um and so we've uh i was talking to danny yesterday i was talking to you earlier this week and we were thinking about doing some sort of uh some sort of giveaway 
Um, and I don't know if we've figured out the details yet, but I think people should keep an eye out for that. So we'll probably, uh, talk about that further, um, after the podcast, but, um, just people should, should keep an eye out on that. Maybe we might include rock slide and stuff like that. So that'll be a pretty good opportunity for people to, to, uh, hopefully win a, a chassis and get set up with a backpack and maybe some cool stuff from the guys at rock slide, Ryan and, uh, Robbie. So. Yeah, for sure. No, we'll we'll definitely be putting out a magnesium chassis with the folding carbon butt stock. So everyone stay tuned on all the different <laughs> yeah. platforms because yeah, it's a pretty sweet system. Hell of a package for sure. Um, so how's, how'd your hunting season go? Man, I know we've been talking all business here for the last 30 minutes. How was, how'd, how'd everything go for you? Oh uh, yeah, it was a pretty good season. Um, last two years I've been pretty busy with just life. Of course, I haven't been hunting as much as I used to, but uh, I had a second season mule deer tag. This was the first year in, I don't know, probably four or five years um, that I haven't archery hunted. So I took a break from archery. As I mentioned earlier, Junction's kind of deserty, and it's always nice to be able to hunt somewhere where you can put in more focus, more scouting. You know, I think that definitely relates to s- success. Um, but this year, I just I was burnt out in the heat, man. I was tired of waking up and you know already being too hot, and then middle of the day you're just hugging sagebrush trying to find what shade you can. So uh, I wanted something a little colder. I grew up uh, up in Silverthorne, Colorado, so did a second season mule deer hunt up there. Uh, pretty interesting hunt. Ended up getting a whole lot of snow. Uh, I want to say in certain areas, like it went up to probably right at knee height. Uh, a lot of falling down timber up in that area too because of all the beetle kill. So it's always fun when you're trudging through snow and, <laughs> yeah. you know, timber fall and whatnot. But ended up getting a, a pretty decent little buck I was happy with. I I couldn't turn anything up I was super stoked with, but I was ready to get off that mountain, yeah. like just, just <laughs> over it, checked out. So, you know, those solo hunts when you're in five days, you start making those reasons, you know, and just like everyone else, you're like, yep, yeah. you're my ticket out of here. See ya. <laughs> so yeah, that was cool. Uh, after that, I, my buddy actually, uh, was wanting to do a cow hunt, my main hunting partner. And he was out kind of scouting around for some other hunts he had planned and, uh, ended up locating some elk that were in just an absolutely amazing location. So he called me up like right when I got off the mountain and summit and was like, Hey, I got some elk located. Where are you at? And I'm like, I'm just getting off the mountain. Like I'll be there tomorrow. I'm going to stay here. And he's like, all right, well, I'll see if they're still here tomorrow. They were still there. So I drove to Glenwood, stopped in there, picked up a leftover cow tag, and then stopped in the book list before I even got home and packed into where he was at. We shot two cows, packed those cows out and went home. So within two days had a deer and a cow to put some meat in the freezer. And then uh, after that, I ended up just uh, helping that same individual and his wife. She had a deer tag for third season and uh, he located a buck that we were chasing the last two years archery. Uh, it's just an absolute stud. I'll have to show you some pictures of him, but we call him dribbles because we have some trail camera pictures that we checked while we were um, just leading up season and he was just getting ready to shed off his velvet mm-hmm. and the cameras actually caught him dripping all of his blood. Oh, really? And we were checking the camera. We looked over there and sure enough, there's the blood on the ground and no we, were, we were kind of one of those weirdos, I guess, that like to uh, name different deer kind of to the story. <laughs> yeah. So for whatever reason, right in the moment, I was like, Dribbles. <laughs> yeah. Stupid name, but Dribbles yeah. is stuck. So yeah, he located Dribbles and uh, two years ago, he was massive. Last year, he definitely had some shrinkage, I think just drought year in a way. So I think he probably went down maybe 15% and then 
this year, I don't know. I hate throwing numbers around, but he was. I never got eyes on him, but he was saying he was definitely in that like 220 mark and just oh an absolute God. monster. So we ended up staying on him the rest of the time, just could never make it happen. So that was third season, which I had a bull tag, so I didn't even hunt for myself. I just helped them out, and I was supposed to go help another individual with the buck tag that season, and he ended up uh, backing out last minute just because couldn't make it happen with the time. So. And after third, that was uh, the end of it for me. It was a pretty short year, so wasn't able to go and help with any real cool hunts or do anything crazy myself. Usually in the spring, I go down to New Mexico and do barber sheep, and I decided to go uh, shoot a competition in Arizona this year instead at the same time. And it was fun, but definitely regret it. Like it's cool being able to <laughs> spread the seasons out and go to different areas. So yeah, yeah short and sweet. It's definitely tough uh, doing the traveling thing, especially for like. I don't know if that's if it's the same for like rifle shooting, but we get a lot of invites for these uh, 3D shoots, archery 3D shoots across the country, and they're fun. Like if you go to one or something like that, but going to all of them, man, it's just uh, it's a hassle to go not shoot animals if it's you know if it's just shooting steel or if it's shooting foam. So that's uh, it's always interesting. What um so what is your rifle setup then, or what are your rifle setups for hunting? Uh. Yeah, I got a handful of different ones. The last couple of years, the main rifle I ran was a 284 Winchester. Um, really cool little round, not a lot, lot many people know about. Most people have heard of a 65284 Norma, which is like a lot of companies like Gunworks and stuff made that big and popular. And it's just a 284 Winchester neck down to a 6.5 millimeter. But a straight 284 Winchester shoots uh, 7 millimeter bullets. And Kind of grew in popularity again, probably around eight years ago in F class, I want to say. So I, I was looking into doing kind of more of a long range build and sighted on that cartridge. And I ran that in a carbon chassis for the last couple of years and it's been great. But this year I, I wanted to run that new magnesium element chassis. So I was trying to scramble and come up with something to build and had a, a 6.5 Creedmoor proof barrel laying in my office that has been used and it's just a, a pre-fit for Savage that we got sent to us for a display that we never ended up using and I had a, had a little Savage 22-250 at my house I haven't shot in years so I was like done I'll make that happen uh, so jumped on the uh, good old 6.5 Creedmoor <laughs> bandwagon uh, <laughs> I still don't understand why people hate the Creedmoor so much. Like it's a great. Man, I compete with a Creedmoor, I've, straight six Creedmoor. I think I so I shot a, an antelope last year with one, and it was it was a pretty decent shot. Like I don't know, people hate when you talk about long range shooting for hunting. I feel like, but it was like 500 yards, and it was right on the money. And I was like, wow, that was. I mean, you can do that with whatever cartridge. I'm just saying though, it was for hunting for smaller smaller stuff for me. I like that. I like that cartridge, and there's oh, a yeah. ton of um, factory ammo options. So I don't know. I'm not like the uh, super knowledgeable on the reloading side, but as far as factory options go, there's a million of them. So I don't oh, definitely. I don't get why people hate on it so bad. No, it's silly. It's it's kind of just because it grew. It grew in large popularity. Then there's a lot of people that decided that they didn't want to be part of a fad. You know, they're the hipsters yeah. of the industry. <laughs> yeah. So like you the know, man bun. Yeah, exactly. So are you hiding a man bun underneath that hat? <laughs> <laughs> no, short short hair for me. No man buns. I like horrible long hair. Um. Yeah, I just threw that together. So it was just a little uh, 6.5 Creedmoor with a proof pre-fit barrel. Uh, I think it was a 24-inch. Threw a little titanium brake on there. A new Night Force NX8. They just came out this year. Pretty sweet little scopes and XLR scope rings. And yeah, that rifle came in right at 9 pounds, uh, 10 pounds with the bipod, and 11 pounds with the loaded down mag. So not horrible. 
definitely not uh, the lightest sheep rifle, but you know, you kind of brought up the whole light sheep rifle thing and I want to throw in there, I'm sure it's the same thing with packs. Uh, I, I know for a fact it's the same thing with packs in my opinion, but more people start shooting, especially if they start shooting long range, they'll start actually valuing a little bit more weight, you know, so you gain a lot of shootability. The difference between a, you know, seven, eight pound rifle to a nine, 10 pound rifle is a big difference on shootability. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. Every ounce adds up and definitely gets heavy over so many ounces, but, um, I like that weight range, no matter the caliber. I mean, if I'm going to be shooting some big 338s or something, like I personally would actually be building more of a 12 oh, pound sure, rifle, yeah. you know, starting 12 pound plus bipod and stuff. So yeah, no, it, it, it worked great. I, I threw it together and was like, well, hopefully uh, some factory ammo shoots well, which I haven't bought factory ammo and I don't even know how long and bought some uh, Hornady 147 ELDXs and yeah, stacked them, man. I was super impressed. So, um, you know, I, I have less than probably 45 rounds down the rifle. I pretty much just zero the scope, did a little uh, testing at distance and got my dope and ran with it. One shot, dropped that elk, uh, uh, deer and elk and, you know, they were, yeah, I don't know, the deer was probably like 470. It was a pretty steep shot. It actually came up through his shoulder, bladed out his spine. And uh, yeah, no, I mean, perfect. I, I don't think you want to shoot an elk at a thousand yards, but I know it's you know, definitely been done. Um, you're just losing a lot of your energy and velocity at that distance with that cartridge. So I see so many debates on uh, on social media about elk being able to be killed with a, a Creedmoor, and it just makes me laugh because my dad like tells me the story about like when uh, 243s and six millimeters became popular back in like this whatever it was like the 70s or the 80s or some shit. And, like everybody was hunting elk with 243s. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm like dude, I think it's just like archery. Also, it's all shot placement and. I mean, it's not ideal for sure, but it, it can definitely be done and is done and it has been done a million times before. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, there are limits. I mean, like there's a lot to bullet design and minimum velocity for proper expansion and stuff like that. And, you know, energy is obviously giving you that insurance. You make a shot that might be a little further back. You're still going to cause a lot of trauma. You're still going to bust through bone, whatever. But uh, no, it could definitely be done. I won't throw any names out there because, yeah, long range hunting can... Uh, you know, cause some ethic debates, but I know of an individual who does a lot of hunting, a lot of shooting, who used a 6.5 Creedmoor and shot a grizzly at 1085, and it was a toad. <laughs> so, Jesus. you know, shot placement, but I still wouldn't recommend it. Like, I personally wouldn't shoot the grizzly at 1080. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, but no, I think they're great cartridges, perfect for deer and elk, you know, in all relative distances. So, uh, I like the smaller stuff. I got away from long actions quite a long time ago just because of I don't I don't need that additional insurance really. I'm not I got I stopped doing real extended distance shooting uh, when it comes to hunting. So when I'm if I'm gonna make a long range shot, I mean it's five six hundred yards for me yeah. personally. I don't have anything against further, but I've never had an issue getting five and six hundred yards. Mm -hmm. um, and I definitely feel way more comfortable. You know, we shoot. We have rifles that we shoot out to 3,000 yards for fun and, you know, get impacts and stuff. So, you know, I, I know I can hit stuff at distance, but that's not always the point of the hunt. And I am I am a huge archer hunting, so, I mean, like, getting close is always a lot funner anyways. But sometimes you just can't get closer, you know, some of the mm -hmm. uh, uh, species that sometimes you end up in pursuit. Like, you just have a couple hundred yard shot because where they're at in the cliffs, you can't physically get to. So yeah, hopefully they fall right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I get I get a kick out of these debates on uh, long range shooting compared to 
your 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 normal hunter compared to your archery hunter compared to your trad hunter it's like it, it's like all these debates all the time but yeah i'm i'm one for just about all the different types of hunting you know i like i like shooting long range or practicing i don't do it a whole heck of a lot but when we go to idaho we shoot a shitload of rocks oh, yeah. so that's it's always fun but um well cool man uh we're uh so you guys are on all the social medias right you're on uh facebook instagram twitter maybe probably not twitter we don't use twitter yeah no i mean mainly instagram and facebook we interact from time to time on you know places like tumblr and reddit and some of the forums and whatnot but instagram and facebook are going to be the main social media avenues that we're going to be on so those will be xlr industries yep and then if somebody wants to get a hold of you they can just call the shop and ask for you or what do you so you do a lot of the marketing stuff and you every once in a while i'll call there and you'll answer so I'm sure you're you're running the phones as well too. Yeah, so I actually pretty much handle all the phone traffic. Um, you know, we're not a massive operation by any means, but yeah, I, I'm technically what's called the sales and marketing director, which I like to call it just the bitch job. So, um, <laughs> you know, you do yeah. do whatever you need to get a hold of me, and you'll get a hold of me, whether it be the <laughs> info email or call in. But yeah. occasionally, I am super busy, so we'll have uh, someone else, you know, handle phone traffic. But <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I oversee the marketing. Um, I I don't handle like the day-to-day social media stuff. I got someone to do that, but yeah. any of the larger decisions or any of the, you know, when we're releasing product and coming out with content for it, uh, I'll oversee that, but I handle all the sales. So yeah. whether it be just a random individual that needs to place a sale or a large dealer needs to place an order, it all runs through good old Matt. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is kind of a pain like having to do all that stuff because um, a lot of us here, we, we wear a lot of different hats. So, you know, I'll answer the emails and Anders is kind of like the point man on the phones, but we'll, we'll all answer the phones and it kind of keeps you on your toes as far as being knowledgeable on the product, which is good. So, um, that's, yeah, it sounds like your, your company's a lot like, like Kafaro. So oh, definitely, I think it's good. It, I mean, it's rare that we have someone call and it's the phone's not picked up within the first two to three rings unless yeah. we just don't have enough lines. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's huge on the customer service side. Uh, and it definitely amazes people. I've had people all the time like, oh, whoa, a person, you know, like <laughs> yeah. they're expecting to leave a voicemail because the firearm industry, unfortunately, is known to have a bad rep for, you know, getting back to people weeks later and having lead times that are extremely long. And we, I, I feel we definitely led a good way on that. I mean, we have products that are normally always in stock. And if they're not in stock, we have to make it. I mean, for us to machine something within four to six weeks at the latest and have it out the door is extremely quick compared to a lot of your other aftermarket stocks that oh, are for taking sure. eight to 10 months. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, like back in the day, I was looking at getting like a carbon barrel or a barrel that I had wrapped in carbon. And the lead time was like ridiculously long. So, yeah. so getting a, a stock custom basically that quickly is 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 pretty badass oh so. yeah well cool man yeah we're going on uh 45 minutes here so yeah we appreciate it. is there anything else you wanted to say or uh no i mean if anyone's going to be yeah, at sheep show definitely come check out the chassis so we also have a booth set up at shot show uh, we'll be on the second floor over in the law enforcement military area, and that's where we'll have you know more of our competition law enforcement stuff and then also a lot of the hunting stuff so Look forward to uh, seeing what people think of the chassis, reach out with any questions, and uh, definitely send in any pictures if you guys are out there using the chassis in the hunting world. So we love seeing it. Awesome. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, just want to say thank you to you and XLR for taking great care of us over here at Kafaro. And, uh, yeah, we look forward to uh, to being at the show with you, and we'll let you guys know on the um, on the giveaway we got coming up. Yeah, look forward to it. Thanks, Frank. All right, thanks, man.